welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. So we're gonna continue our series uh, through the book of Matthew. This is our second of what is going to be a lot of messages through the book of Matthew. So I hope you'll be patient with me. Um, if not, I don't know what that means for you, but, um, but we are going to, uh, we're going to take our time and go through this, this gospel and uh, looking forward to it. Maybe there is something wrong with me. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> I know you're thinking it. There is something wrong with you, Rick. Maybe there is something wrong with me, but something has never really made sense to me. Since, since as long as I can remember, I have never understood why Americans get so wrapped up in what's going on in the royal family of Great Britain. <laughs> yeah, why do we care what's going on over there? It makes no difference to us. They have no impact on our lives, and yet, I mean, we're just like, I mean, I mean, right now, even the conservative news things that I listen to are all, they're all talking about, you know, Prince so-and-so has written a book, you know, a tell-all book about all the dirty little secrets that are going on in the, in the British royal family. Can you guess my response to all of that? Who cares? If there's a wedding, wow. I mean, the whole world stops, watches it live. I don't, can you actually watch it live? Yeah, I guess you probably could if you stayed up. You know, they, you know, then they start having babies and, you know, we get minute by minute, you know, updates about, you know, what's going on with the pregnancy and the birth and all of that stuff. I don't get it. And, and, and please, I'm begging you right now, do not come up after the service and try to explain it to me. <laughs> don't go out and buy me the latest book. I, don't do it. I just don't care. Well, today we're going to talk about a royal family that I do care about. There was no grand wedding there was no, you know, the elites of the world coming together to celebrate this event. There was a pregnancy, a little bit scandalous, culturally speaking, this, this particular pregnancy. But this was no ordinary child. Even before he was born, he was king. Though his family came from royalty, he was not acknowledged as royalty. So we'll pray, and we'll look at this fascinating account. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for this day 
And we ask, Lord God, as we focus in on this royal family, Lord God, that you would do that, that, that singular work in our heart to focus and to hear from your Holy Spirit what you would say to us today as we go through this account of the birth of our Savior King. And I ask, Lord God, that we would be open to whatever you might want to say. And that, Lord, as, 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 the, as the person you've called to share these things this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my lips to say only what you want to say. That, Lord, my, my words would reflect your heart for your people. And that I will allow your Holy Spirit to move in me and through me to minister the truth that you want your people to hear this morning. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't already done that, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And last, year, last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus and everybody was all excited about looking at a genealogy, but, uh, but it was okay, it turned out okay. And, and though, though we, we, we saw the genealogy that came down through Joseph who was married to Mary, he was not Jesus' biological father. Um, Joseph was of, it, of the royal family, of the royal family of David. And at this time in history, Israel did not have a king. And they were actually being, you know, ruled by the Romans, and so they did not have their own king. But if they did, Joseph would have been in line for the throne. Probably the back of the line, but he would have been in line for it. He would have been well down the list of people that would have probably chosen for this. Mary, the mother of Christ, was also of the royal family of David. She was descended from him as well. Now, now this, again, the reason why I say that, if you think about this, and we talked about it a little bit last week, this royal family was about as humble as you could possibly imagine. And yet through this humble couple, Joseph and Mary, would be born the king of the world. Let's look at the birth of the king. Verse 18 of Matthew. I guess I'll turn there too. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Betrothal was a little different for the Jews than it is for us today, for our culture today. Um, it, it, it's, it's similar to an engagement, but different. In that culture, that the betrothal was in, was in essence a, a marriage covenant. So when two people were betrothed, that the, the community around them would treat them as a married couple, though it wasn't consummated until there was a ceremony attached to it. But the way they related to each other is that they related to, each, uh, to them as husband and wife. And so ending a betrothal was a big deal. It was equivalent to what we might even imagine to be a divorce. So it was a big deal to end a betrothal. And so, so, so once a couple was betrothed, you know, certain things weren't, you know, weren't, Kosher, to use, you know, some sort of a term. So before they came together is a term used there, meaning before they had been intimate. What are the doctrines of the church? And I'm going I'm to actually talk about six or seven doctrines today. Anybody okay with that? 
I don't normally talk specifically about doctrine, but one of the doctrines of the church is that Mary was a virgin until after Jesus was born. That, that, that she, you know, the, the virgin birth of Christ. She, she was a virgin when she conceived, which is miraculous, right? You get that. And she stayed a virgin until after Jesus was born. So she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, which it, there's another familiar face. Morning, JJ. Sorry, shiny thing, squirrel. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit, which is the, the doctrine of the immaculate conception. There was a miraculous event. The angel Gabriel had appeared to her. We see this in the Gospel of Luke. And the other, one of the other main accounts of the birth of Christ, that, that he, angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a child. And, and, and he says it to her in such a way, she says, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. How is that going to happen? And so he... She, we have that, we pick it up in verse 34 of Luke 1. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Which means she's saying, I'm a virgin, and you know, how can I get pregnant as a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is born to you will be called the Son of God. Son of God is going to be born to this humble Jewish probably teenager, probably in her late teens, and, 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 and God chose her to be the vessel through whom the Savior of the world would come, who God in the flesh would come. Now, now, it's highly unlikely that she fully understood what it was the angel Gabriel said to her. But even though she didn't fully understand it, she had the faith to agree and yield herself to the will of God. Oh, what a message that is for all of us. There are times as we're, as we're going through life and we're reading God's word and we're connecting with God's people and we're, we're going through the experiences of life where we come to something and we say, I don't understand, right? Can we say that there are times like that that happen? But God said, what should we do? Believe. Simply believe. You don't have to understand. You don't have to explain. You don't have to have all the answers. Simply believe. And allow God to be God. Allow God to do what God wants to do. Even if you don't know how he's going to do it. Even if you don't know when he's going to do it. Even if you don't, don't see a pathway to it. Believe. And then wait. See what God does. That's faith. God said it. I believe it. So be it. Matthew's gospel gives us a picture, the main, one of the main pictures we see here, other than the fact that we're going to talk about the birth of the Savior, King of the world, is, is the character of Mary's husband. And we, we don't often focus on this, and so we're going to take a little time this morning and do that. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. 
Notice that it refers to Joseph as Mary's husband. Even though the, the marriage ceremony had not taken place, they were just betrothed, and, they, and there were still ceremonies and things to do. She's still treated and related to as, her, as Mary's husband. He was being a just man. And what that means is, is, is not only did Joseph know what was right and wrong, he, he attempted and tried to live his life focused on doing what was right. So that means that there's, when, there, when there was a choice made, he looked, okay, which one, is, which one is the right way? And right, meaning what the right as God would describe right, right? Because there's, there's two different rights in the world. There's God's right and the world's right. Which one do you think is the right, right way? Huh? God's way, right? I mean, the world has, they look at, the, they look at things, they say, okay, this is how things ought to be. And we look at them and say, uh, that's stupid, no, okay, I'm sorry. Should I, can I say stupid from the pulpit? Yes, I can. You know why? Because it's in the Bible. Look it up. He was a just man. He knew what was right and wrong, and he tried to do right and wrong. He's looking at the situation. Okay, I, I, am, I am betrothed to Mary. Yay! She's pregnant. Uh, oops. Now what do I do? You know, I, I'm betrothed to her, but I haven't been with her. So whoever, whoever got her pregnant wasn't me. And she, you know she told him the story, right? You know, she finds out she's pregnant, and he's saying, uh, what's the deal? And she says, well, let me tell you the story. And what, and what does Joseph do? Uh, yeah. Not so sure about that. From his perspective, this is wrong. She's pregnant. He knew he was not the father. Now, this is a problem for Joseph, not just, not just relationally, but culturally. It would have made their whole family outcasts in the community. The whole community would have treated them as less than. Not only that, there was a penalty in their culture for adultery, which is what this would have been described as. And that penalty was what? Anybody know what the penalty for adultery was? Stoning. Stoned, not just, you know, never mind, but, you know, thrown rocks at you until you are dead. Not a fun way to go. Now, marriages in the culture were often arranged by family. And so, and so, because they were, they were in a small community, it's highly likely that they knew each other before they were betrothed. But in that culture, you didn't have to love one another to be betrothed. Family would just arrange a wedding. You know, if the fact that you knew each other, that would be a benefit, but not it was not necessary. The Bible nowhere tells us that, that Joseph loved Mary. We have no idea if he did or not. But his actions here seem to suggest that he did. And that's another message for all of us. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. I communicate my love for Kelly by the way that I act around her, the way I behave around her, the things that I do for her. That's love, not just what I feel. The feelings can come, but they're not necessary. And so his choice, his, his, his decision, was to put her away secretly. What that means is to send her away to end the relationship 
and sent her probably to some distant relative to have the baby and then to do whatever she was going to do after that. And he intended to do it secretly so as not to humiliate her any more than necessary. To him, it was the right thing to do because something very wrong had happened. But God wasn't going to leave it that way. God had a different plan. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is exactly what Mary probably told him had happened. This angel comes to him. He, the angel is not aimed in this text, but very likely it was Gabriel. Gabriel is mentioned repeatedly in the Gospel of, of Luke around the birth of Christ. So it's very likely Gabriel comes and talks to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, go ahead and take her as your wife. He confirms the story that Mary had told him. Now, now Joseph is a man of faith, but the idea of Mary getting pregnant by the Holy Spirit supernaturally was one step beyond where his faith could take him. And so God sends an angel to carry Joseph to greater faith. Listen, church, that's always the way it works. It always works. Our faith will only get us so far. And once we get to the edge of our faith, do you know what God says? Go a little bit further. Go farther than your faith can reach. Why? Because he wants you to have more faith. And the only way to have more faith is to go farther than your faith allows. And so when you get to that place where you don't have enough faith to take another step, God's gonna allow you. He's gonna bring something in your life that pushes you out one more step. Sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's just a call to go deeper. Sometimes it's a difficult circumstance in your life. Sometimes it's pain and suffering. Sometimes it's opportunity. Oh, God has a bajillion different ways that he can challenge you in your faith. But understand something. He always wants you to go one more step than you're willing to go. One more step than you think you can. One more step than, than you've ever done before. He wants you to go farther, deeper, and, and more closely connected to him. So when, when you get to the end of yourself, when you get to the end of your faith, recognize God says, that's, that's good, good job. How about one more step? And I love that about God. You know, God, God doesn't say to us, you know what? You know, today you did pretty good, but tomorrow I want you to be exactly like Jesus, right? What would we all do if God said that to us? We'd all, we'd all fail because we can't do that. So you know how much farther God wants you to get? Uh, just a little bit more like Jesus. One small step of faith. One small step of obedience. One small just saying yes to God. And if you just keep doing that, you know what happens? Your faith grows and grows and grows. You know when God will stop taking you one step further? Well, when he takes you to Jesus is when he's gonna do it. When you finally end up in heaven. Verse 21, the angel tells 
Joseph about how special this child is going to be. And she, she is Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph is told they're going to have a son, which, you know, this is before the time of sonograms. I think it's a couple of, a couple of months after that they invent sonograms. But, the, you know, they had no idea, but the angel says, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. Jesus means the, literally, the definition of the name is he saves or savior. Jesus' name tells us why he is here. We're even told why he was born into the world, not to rule. You know, Jesus didn't need to be born to be king of the world. Did you know that? He didn't need to be born. You know, he could just show up. He could just show up on, on, a, on, a, on a white horse with the armies of heaven behind him, with a, with a flaming sword. He could just show up. Oh, wait a minute. That's actually going to happen in the second coming. That's exactly. He doesn't need to be born to be king, but he does need to be born to be savior. He had to be born as a human so that he could lay down his human life for our sins to save us. That's how God proved that he loved us. In Romans 5.8 it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, before we cared about God, before we repented of our sins, before we did anything, we even turned our heart toward God or looked toward him at all, Christ died for us. And that couldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't been born. It's hard to think about this, but Jesus was born so that he could die. That's why he was... <sighs> then we have here, uh, we have something we're going we're to see a lot repeated throughout the book of Matthew, one of the regular occurrences in, in Matthew's gospel, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Remember, each one of the Gospels is written to a very specific group of people, though they apply to all people ultimately, but they're written with a very specific audience in mind. The book of Matthew is written to the Jews. It was written to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And so within the book of Matthew, we have more direct references or, or allusions to the Old Testament than any of the other Gospels. This particular quote is out of the prophet, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, and he wrote 700 years before Christ was born and said that this child was going to be born and his name would be Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The Bible is amazing to me. I remember, I can still remember back before I was saved, 
you know, it's still it's getting longer and longer now, but I've saved at 40. And I can remember the time before, and I, I, was, I was brought up believing that you really can't trust the Bible because men wrote it, you know, and you can't trust anything anyone says or writes. I mean, I mean, we can say amen to that today. But then I started reading it, and I was amazed on how, how these, these things, as I started to understand how these things were all connected to one another and how, how they, things that were written by diverse groups of people over great periods of time, separated by great distances of, of, of geography, and it was all connected and, 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 and unified in a way that, that wasn't natural. Now, if, if they had an AI back then, okay, then maybe I can understand that. But with the technology they had, the way, that they, the, the, the way it's so unified, it, I mean, frankly, it's miraculous. That's the only way to describe how the Bible fits the get together the way it does. I mean, just like the Bible says it would. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration of God could also be translated as God breathed. Literally, God breathed the word of God into men who then wrote it down. Every last word we describe as, as, as inspired that there is no, there, that while, while man is in there, because God never takes the, the messenger out of the message, every word is God's word. And as, as a church, we believe that. And so we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but we could believe that every single word recorded here in the original language is perfect and true and the basis of truth and life. God's word is radical. Now he says here that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. One of the other doctrines of the church is the omnipresence of God. Right? You've probably heard that before, the omnipresence of God. Where is God? Everywhere. Everywhere. When? All the time. Everywhere present. He's everywhere present all the time. Never a time when God is not present everywhere in the universe all at the same time. So what does it mean to say that Jesus, his name, Emmanuel, means God with us? Well, it has to mean something, right? If God is everywhere present, God is always with us. But what does it mean that Jesus, his name, meaning God with us? Well, there's another doctrine. We call it the Incarnation the incarnation describes the fact that God the Son, who existed with God the Father in heaven for eternity past, stepped down out of the perfection of heaven and took on human flesh. He, at the moment of conception, God the Son became human, while at no point not being God, retaining that that deity, but taking on human flesh so that he could dwell amongst us and then save us from our sins. John 1.14, and the word <coughs> became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This encounter 
with the angel had an impact upon him. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I've never had one of these kinds of dreams. I would love to. One of these dreams where I recognize I'm, I'm in the presence of, of, you know, God or one of his angels and getting a word like this. But it has this impact, this great impact upon Joseph. Verse 24, that Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph went from being suspicious of what was going on with Mary to fully committed to taking this child as his own and to raising him. Joseph was a man of character and integrity. One of the shining lights. Often we look at, at, at you know, the people in the scripture, we think, yeah, okay, good, 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 uh, not so good. Joseph is not one of those. I love that. It's impossible to say how much Joseph understood about who this child was that he was raising. But he took full responsibility. Now, now it doesn't seem that, he was, that Joseph was still alive when Jesus took on his public ministry. There's no report of his death. Last time we see him, he's, Jesus is about 12. That's the last time we have any account of him. He likely didn't see the fulfillment of what Jesus had come to do. We're going to partake of communion this morning. I'm going to finish way early. Randy, just in case you're wondering. Somebody say, wow. Wow, pastor. Because that's pretty unusual, okay? For those of you that don't, haven't been here very much, usually I'm pushing the edges. Communion is a time to remember what Jesus did for us. And, and we all come to this time differently. Some, some of us come... And things are great, things are awesome. Some of us come and things are hard. Some of us come bearing all, bearing all kinds of burdens and baggage and, and garbage and whatever else. But we all come to the same table. We all come to the same Lord. Today we talked about the account of the birth of our Savior King. We also talked about the faith of of. Joseph, he heard the angel's message and believed. That faith empowered Joseph to do what might have been impossible for him to do before. As we partake, prepare to partake of what we refer to the communion or the Lord's supper or the Lord's table, whatever, however you want to refer to it, we ought to examine ourselves. Where am I right now? What is the state of my heart right now? Joseph didn't know he had the faith, a faith problem until the angel told him he did. You know, isn't that always true? We never know we have a faith problem until we run up to the edge of our faith. And even then, we may not realize it's a faith problem we might, we might think, you know, no, no, it's not a faith problem. It's a Larry problem. Larry's my problem. Or something else. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out, we'll, 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 you know, it couldn't be me. 
But something will come into our lives. And we realize, I, I have a faith problem. And, and brothers and sisters, I want you to tell you something. We all have a faith problem. Unless you are like Christ today, meaning perfect, which if you were, you wouldn't be here, then we have, a, we have an issue with faith. Our faith needs to grow. But we often don't, can't see it. Our, it is invisible to us unless somebody has brought it to our attention. Unless either God has, the Word has, God's people have, we don't realize that we need more faith. And so as we prepare to partake of communion, one of the things that we ought to do is ask God to reveal to us where we need more faith. What is it that's going on in our life that we're, we are standing on the edge of faith and God is calling us to go one step further? Where does he want you to go deeper? Where is it that you have yet to, to yield your will to God in your life? Jesus was born so that he could sacrifice his life for ours, for us. So that we could walk with God. So that we could walk with God in such a way that the rest of the world can see God. So that we would walk with God in the best life possible for us. Did you know that? The best life you can live is the one that walks with God in intimacy, in faith, in obedience to him and his will and his word. It's what communion is all about. Coming to Jesus, looking at the elements, the cracker and the juice representing his body and his blood. He came so that we could have a life with God. I'm gonna pray, and Randy's gonna come up and lead us in communion. But as I'm praying, and as he prepares to come up, let God speak to your heart. Where is he calling you to go deeper with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, for your special touch upon our hearts, our minds, our will. Lord, as we've looked at the birth of Christ, and we looked at that extensively last month at, around Christmas, but Lord, we look at it again today, and we ask, Lord God, that you would remind us just what a big deal that is. Jesus died for us, but to die, he had to be born first. And so we, we celebrate his birth, but we do it remembering even the greater thing to celebrate, and that is the forgiveness of sin, the salvation of our souls. But as we prepare to partake of communion, prepare our hearts, God. Where are you calling us deeper? Where are you calling us to a more intimate walk with you? Where are you calling us to walk more boldly in this world in your name? Lord, I pray, Lord God, that each of us would continue to grow in our faith to the point where others can see you more clearly through our lives as they see grace and mercy and hope and peace and joy where the rest of the world may not be able to experience those things. But in you, we can. Because of you, we can. Through your Holy Spirit, we can. In faith and obedience to your word, we can. 
So I ask, Lord God, that, that you would help us to see the boundaries of our faith and see where you may be calling us out of the boat to walk on the waves to you. Knowing that should we stumble, should we, should we get in trouble, Lord, you're right there to save us. We thank you for that. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we do lift up, Lord, this time to you and praise you for it. And before we end this time, I, I just want to say that, that you know, while the birth of Christ is amazing and, and, um, and we rejoice in, in the fact that he saved us through his sacrificial death on the cross, that we have to believe those things to be true for them to be any good to us. Or is anyone here who has not opened their heart, not chosen to believe these things as truth that they are, that you would do that work in their hearts right now, whether they're here in person or watching online or will watch this later on, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to believe. And in believing, that they would turn from whatever life they're living, recognize that, that, that there is a way that you want them to go and that they probably haven't been living that way up until this point. And, it, and, and to simply turn from those ways and turn to you in faith, believing that these things that your word says are true. I pray, Lord, that they would, in their own hearts, at the very least, confess their sins, to turn away from those things and to turn to you and receive your forgiveness, the forgiveness that not only cleanses them of whatever, whatever things they've been involved with, but also opens the door to heaven for them. We thank you for all of that, Lord. And we pray, Lord God, that you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that we would be prepared to, to commune with you, God. What a privilege that is, that through your Son, that we can, that we can have this kind of a relationship with you. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.